Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sararis. It is Wednesday, busy sports week. We've gone hockey heavy this week. We had a little bit of a recap on Monday, the NFL weekend, NWHL, then the Blackhawks, and then we come to today. NHL, I know the most about. I have the most sources to come on and give good conversation about. I really enjoyed this talk I had with Hunter. He's been on the podcast before. He, way back when the Steelers were still rolling early in the season, he came on after they came from behind and beat the Cowboys when the Steelers were 7-0. It was good to catch up with him to talk about the Penguins. I'll get to the, I'll get to the fun part in a minute, but before I do, please... Subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, or follow if you're on Spotify. Subscribe on any of the other platforms, whether it's Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play, what have you. Please help grow the show. We are doing better each and every week. The more podcasts, the more episodes I've been doing, the more views and listens we're getting. So we're we're growing organically, slowly but surely. So keep helping grow the show. Throw us a like. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. I'll get more stuff going on those channels so there's more content to absorb other than just the straight podcast. I know, got to put in the work, but we're making progress, and it's really nice to see. So, to set the table, the NHL season started last Wednesday. Most teams have played four games to this point as the time of this recording on Wednesday. A few teams haven't because of COVID. The Dallas Stars have still yet to play a game. The Carolina Hurricanes and Nashville Predators have had two games canceled and uh, postponed, I should say, in the meantime. So we're we're slowly but surely getting an NHL season underway. The Eastern Division is a knife fight. Uh, everybody, when they saw these division alignments come out, thought that a network, uh, a division of Penguins, Bruins, Flyers, Capitals, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, and Sabers was going to be especially brutal, being that the Rangers and Penguins are typically been in a division together since the last realignment i i've gotten a pretty good sense of the state of their organization but hearing it from hunter's perspective put things in a better perspective for me it made me understand the strengths and weaknesses of the team as it currently exists and it made for a good talk so i will see you guys on the other side of the drop with hunter to Smith trying to clear up the middle, and he does, and maybe a chance for Fluger on a breakaway. Skates in on goal, back and he scores! Three against five, short-handed goal, Teddy Bluger! And with that, I welcome on a now-recurring guest, second appearance, the host of uh, the Locked On Penguins podcast, uh, hockey blo- we'll say hockey blogger, has, his work pops up per- sporadically on the internet. How are we doing, Hunter? Uh, not too, too bad, man. Yeah, I think, you know, podcast host, hockey blogger, hopefully um, soon to be uh, be reporter at some point would be uh, better. But, you know, I, we'll, set, we'll settle with those two things for now, man. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we'll work on it. We're workshopping introductions. It's always one of the things that when you're doing this, you got to think about how you want to introduce people. So that's what we'll go with for you. You're here to talk about your Penguins. I'm not going to subject you to Steelers talk because we'll, 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 there's a long football offseason. We'll, we'll have the Steelers conversation at some point. You're here. I've been doing a lot of hockey this week and last week. The season started last week. The Penguins, one of the marquee franchises in the league, one of the five, still have Sidney Crosby, one of the five best players in the world. A core of an an aging but still competitive core, some interesting pieces, unproven goaltenders, head coach who's won a pair of Stanley Cups, a general manager who likes to make trades just to make trades. Very interesting team. So you're here to kind of 
help me understand the storylines going into the season. This division, like we had talked about when I was on your show, when they finally announced the format for this season where it'd be division only. We both agreed this was going to be uh, a dog fight, a knife fight, whatever comparison you want to make. It's going to be very difficult. So tell me first off, just how do you feel about your team right now? Uh, right now, I'm a little conflicted just because of the way they, they play at times. I mean, they don't start the game on time. Then when you get to the last 30 minutes of the game, it's like a completely different Penguins team. I don't know if it's Mike Sullivan saying something in the locker room. I don't know if it's Cindy Crosby yelling at them on the bench. Um, but, you know, they just, in the third period of these last couple of games, they've just, they smothered the Capitals. Um, they, I think in the Sunday game, they held them to 11 shots over the last 45 minutes. So it's like, wow, why can't they do that for the first 20 minutes? And then you have the questionable goaltending that comes into it. Um, you know, it was always a risk coming into the year with Jari and DeSmith. There's not a lot of experience there. You could have made a case that they should have signed a backup, um, even though there weren't a lot of good options out there. But you have that and the defensive breakdowns. I mean, Gino not looking like Gino. And it's just like, I don't know what to make of this team yet, just because they haven't put together a full 60 minute good game yet, just because they've been starting off bad. But you know, they're two and two. I know they're in fifth right now. It's early, but we'll see if they can have a full 60 um, when your New York Rangers come to town um, for their two games on Friday and Sunday, though. Yeah, that, that's another reason I wanted to have you almost talk a little bit about that. But before we get there, where we talk a little bit about the present, we got to, when I have someone on for the first time to talk about their team, I usually like to peel it back, talk a little bit about the recent history of the team. So this decade, the Peng I had the Blackhawks episode yesterday, which is up. If you haven't listened to that, I recommend it. It was a good conversation with Alyssa. They had a very interesting game that got to overtime against the Panthers last night. But the Panthers, excuse me, the Blackhawks and the Penguins define this decade of hockey. You had the individual pop-ups. You had the Blues. You had the Capitals. You had the Bruins. But for the most part, you could say the Penguins and the Blackhawks define this decade around their cores. For the Penguins, Gino, Sid... Latang, Flurry, and my I guess you could say Kunitz. Not, Kunitz was there for two, the first one, eh, but you get my point. Uh, steady core guys on good contracts. The Malkin and Sid contracts are still great to this day. I know Gino hasn't looked great yet, but it's only been three games. So, talk to me a little bit about this. We'll say run era, whichever word you prefer. Explain. Talk to me a bit about the keys to what's made the team successful. Um, whew, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, I think, you know, obviously when they first came in, there's such high expectations, you know, 2008, you get so close um, against probably the best salary cap team we'll, we'll ever see um, that Red Wings team. I know a lot of people would say that Tampa Bay last year was one of the best. I think that Red Wings team beats them in five games. Um, I don't know. I know that's maybe a bit of a hot take, but that Red Wings team was just so good. Then you come back, you win it. It's like, wow, you know, you're going to win it every year. And then it goes stale. And then, you know, you have all the questions come out. Oh, is he a coach killer? A lot. Game Bosman gets fired. Mike Johnson gets fired. But, you know, they brought in a general manager who knew what he was doing for the first couple of years. Let's say that. Let's call it how it was. You know, he brings in Phil Kessel. They, they bring in depth pieces like Carl Hagelin, Nick Menino. They strengthen their defensive corps. They have a young goalie come up who supplanted the franchise icon who many people are still mad that he left. And, you know, voila, and you get a top five coach, you're going to go a lot of places. Um, you know, it also helps, of course, so, you know, you just, I mean, the general manager for the Penguins, he doesn't have 
like the hardest job of some of these other teams. You have your core in place. You have to fill out the edges of the roster. Go get your Nick Benino. Go get a competent fourth line. You have your franchise defenseman. You have a good goalie, usually. Fill out your second pairing. Fill out your third pairing. And you don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. Jim Rutherford has kind of lost his way with that the last couple of years. But when he was doing good, you know, he made it was the, the, the outer portions of the team came in for cheap. And that's the way the Penguins did it when they won in 2016. They won in 2017 with all that speed and skill. Um, and that's just basically been the key to why they've had so much success. Um, it's the greatest era of Penguins hockey we probably will ever see. Yes, I know they won two cups with Mario and Yager, but, you know, they didn't even go on a run like this when they had three in basically a decade. And if they win four, um, they'll be the Crosby Malkin will be the only duo, I think, to they'll tie Gretzky and Messier for four when they were um, with Edmonton. So um, there's just, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they were able to get Mike Sullivan. Um, I'm glad that Jim Rutherford was competent, at least for a little bit. But, you know, they still have a ways to go to get back to that point. I still think this is a good team, but they still need to upgrade in a few areas um, for the season if they're to win at all. And a point that we've kind of all lost is how close we were to Sidney Crosby never playing hockey again in like 2011, where he just, he sat out like a year and a half. And it's, you don't see things like that happen in other sports where especially in hockey because the well aside from just how hockey culture is with injuries and that's another conversation for another day but one of the you know five to ten best players in the history of the sport having to retire at 29 years old 28 years old whatever he was in 2011 that's insane but that was a very real possibility at one point it absolutely was, man. I mean, I remember back when I was 14, you know, I would load up the ESPN page and be like, oh my God, Sid's practicing. Is he getting close? Oh my God, is, is you know, it would just be like kind of like a, just be a circle. Just like, oh my God, is he getting close? Because he kept practicing for a month. It wasn't no contact. It's because he wasn't ready yet. And then he finally makes his return. You know, you saw what he did against the Islanders and then made his uh, official return. Um, I think it was, uh, what other game was it i'm trying to remember i I know i know it was obviously the islanders one and that just broke um ppg paints arena down but i mean yeah man it would have just been a things would be a lot different today um if he had retired at 29 um those were some real concussion issues they're no joke i mean we've seen chris bronger retire because of it um we saw mark savard end his career from matt cook because of concussion issues um man i don't i don't know what i would have done man if he would have had to retire there um it was just I'm, I'm glad that he was able to get right he, he's had a couple concussion scares since then i think he had to miss a game in the 2017 playoffs because of it i think that was when niskin and cross checked him in the neck um and then i think um a season ago in 2019 he had missed a couple games in the season due to concussions of course everyone's going to get scared uh, but you know i think um the league and him take concussions more seriously at this point um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just thankful that they weren't as severe as that, but yeah, man, there was definitely a real possibility that his career was already over because when he went out in the winter classic, he was on pace for 120 points that year, probably going to win another heart, probably going to win another art Ross. And if it weren't for those concussions, man, he probably is at over 1400 points for his career right now. If you just look at his career projections at that point. One of the truly special players where even today, obviously he's not as explosive as he used to be, but he still got the best hand-eye coordination of any player in the league where no matter where the puck is around in relation to his body, he can make a play on the puck 
there's no one I don't think ever who's been as good as batting the puck out of the air to try and make scoring attempts out of it. It's one of those things that's hard to explain to people who don't watch hockey. But if you can see someone like Sid play in person, someone like Ovi play in person, someone like Patrick Kane play in person, you can see how different they are because of just how fluid and how fast they move. It's really hard to explain if you haven't seen them in person because TV just doesn't do it justice how how fluid they are and how easy they move. It, it really doesn't, man. I mean, he truly is one of a kind. Um, if any of you guys that listen to this podcast have not had a chance to go to a Penguins game and do get a chance in the future when fans are allowed back as well, um, please go see him. Um, he's 34 now. Uh, he ain't going to be around forever. And just like what he does on an every night basis, you know, just the, this fan base and we're, we're spoiled. Like you're, you're not going to see this guy. You're not going to see a player like this probably come back to this franchise ever again. I mean, I know people said that about Mary Lemieux, but I mean, Sid, Sid's not at Mario's level for as great as he is. He's not, but he, he's just, you know, like you said, batting the pucks out of the air. I mean, you saw what he did to Carter Hart on the opening night. Yeah. I mean, just making him look like a fool as he tried to carry the puck out. Um, and then last night, you know, with that rebound shot with Marino, I mean, just his hand-eye coordination with that and just like was able to get to that rebound. I mean, for a lot of players, a play like that is so difficult but because with the defenseman like all over him, but for him, it's just, it's easy work for him just because he's been doing it his whole career. And, you know, there's so many countless highlights of him batting the pocket, you know, the Montreal with Carey Price. I think he did it to Arizona a couple of years ago. Um, the devils of Kincaid, he hit the post, whacks the ball, bat, ball walks the puck in like a baseball bat. Um, he's special, man. And, you know, it's just people take him for granted. And, you know, I understand that he got a lot of hate early on in his career. And, you know, some of it was warranted, you know, definitely, definitely whined a bit, you know, early on in his, in his career. But, you know, now that he's gotten older, he's matured a lot. Um, I just don't feel the need to see people hate on him as much. But, you know, it's not going to stop some people. But, yeah, he's just he's one of a kind. And bringing back circling back to a point you had made a little bit earlier where you talked about where he kind of got a bad rap for a period there especially when in terms of because the penguins were struggling from that post cup to about 2014 where a lot they made the playoffs but consistently getting bounced in the first or second round because they just didn't have enough supplemental talent to go around Sid and Gino you think about those teams who was on them and the struggles they had where it would, they had that one series against the Flyers, which is one of the best postseason series of maybe the last 20 years, that series where no one played any defense, every single score was six to five, seven to six, where neither goaltender could make a save. There was that one series against the Blue Jackets where Fleury just kind of forgot how to play goalie, even though the Penguins did end up winning that series. You go to that series against the Bruins and the lockout season where they got swept. Or the year after that, where the Rangers came back from three to one, or the year after that, where the Rangers knocked them out in the first round, they just didn't have the right mix of players. And it did seem that after a little while, that it just wasn't working with Billsma, and they had to kind of retool around their guys, which is hard to do. It's really hard to win a championship, acknowledge that it okay, this isn't working because it worked for us a while ago. It doesn't mean it's going to keep working. We need to address the problem and we need to work around what we have because we can't waste these guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. The Penguins honestly just lost their way a lot during those years. I mean, the Montreal series, 
you know, people forgot about because they won the cup the year before. They should have won that series, but, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury crapped the bed in game seven, and then that was the last game in Mellon Arena's history. What a way for that arena to go out. Then you have the Tampa one. Again, I kind of put that out of a mulligan, too. Should have won the series, but were they going to win the cup that year without Sid and Gino because they weren't going to come back? No. Then, you know, the Flyers won. Lost their way, really. I mean, and I was more on Marc-Andre Fleury and the Penguins just being so undisciplined than anything else. I mean, they had the talent to win that series. They were deep. I mean, they still had the Cookstall-Kennedy line, but, you know, the Flyers just, they baited them into doing so much stuff. You had James Neal running around headshotting people, if people forgot about that. Um, that was kind of when I started getting sick and tired of them. And then 2013, you know, you buzzsaw two teams. It's like, okay, here we go. They're going to win it all again. And then Boston just really makes them lose their way. And that's the team that I really do want to see the Penguins win a series against in the Sid Gino era to honestly close it out. Um, if they're going to win a fourth cup, you know, that's the one big rival that they haven't beaten yet. Um, and then, yeah, you like said 2014, the Rangers won. Um, that was probably a year too late to file, fire Bilesma. You know, the funny thing is they extended Bilesma after the 2013 sweep, which was just pathetic. I don't know why Ray Shiro tied his future to that um but yeah i mean they noticed that the depth was not working you can't have players like craig adams in your bottom six who don't do anything joe vitale your old friend tanner glass was playing on the fourth line um they had brian gibbons down there um rob scuderi was in the lineup he he's a corpse he was a corpse at the time um jason magna zach sale for some reason was loved by some of the media in pittsburgh um, they just, you had to get rid of some of these guys who are below replacement level players and, you know, players that can actually contribute at 5v5 at even strength, uh, you know, players that are not just PK specialists, as everyone likes to say, around the league. And Jim Rutherford was able to do that when he came in, honestly, in that 2015 offseason, signed Steve Downey, who, when he wasn't a dirty player, he put up like 10 to 15 goals that year. Blake Como was fine. And then, you know, when those guys left, he started bringing in some more impact players. Phil Kessel, of course, like I talked about, Nick Benino, Carl Haglin, Justin Schultz was a revelation for a couple of years. And when you get the outer parts of that roster right, you know, if they would have had that from 2010 to 2014, they probably won another Stanley Cup. But, you know, the general manager didn't see it that way. Um, and they were burned for it. But, you know, they were lucky that Rutherford and Sullivan were able to help uh, redeem it by putting a uh, – competent team around the core and they were able to buzzsaw their way through the playoffs in 2016 and 2017. Yeah. I mean, you think about the guys on those teams, the one guy who is going to get lost to history, but was a really good player during this era and is still hanging around. He's on Florida now, but Patrick Hornquist was really good on those Penguins teams where he would just park his big ass in front of the net and just play the dirty area. And every good power play needs a guy who can take up space in front of the net and has a long reach and can sweep up those rebounds. And Hornquist was really good at that for a long time because that Penguins power play, when they need goals and they're chasing late, and you can go Sid, Gino, Latang, Hornquist, and if you really needed to overload it, you could throw Kessel up there too. I mean, that's as dominant a five-man group you can have in terms of possession where it's going to be really hard to get the puck away from them. Yeah, Hornquist, yeah, he drove goalies crazy. He drove opposing fans crazy. Um, he's the kind of player you hate if you play against, but you would love him on your team. Um, he, oh man, I, 
you know, I was just, I would always love when they would play Washington and he would just park his ass right in front of the net, as you said, and they would just get tripping crazy. He's almost like a Tomas Lundstrom kind of player. It stunk that they traded him, but I understand why they did it. Was getting older, wasn't producing the same at 5v5. But I remember that first year when he was here, when the Rangers beat him in the playoffs, when they beat the Penguins in the playoffs, you know, he was the one big bright spot from that series. He brought a lot of energy to the team. He scored you know, a couple of the goals. And it was like, you know what, this is a player that's going to be good for years to come. And he, he sure proved it, you know, a couple overtime winners, you know, he had the Stanley cup winner in 2017, you know, whenever there was a big moment, he was one of the players that was right there, ready to do it. You know, he had the 2017 game seven goal against the Capitals to go up to nothing, which basically iced the game. Um, you know, I think some Penguins fans definitely underappreciated him and, you know, make what you have of his contract of what you will. I would have signed it at the time too. I just, you know, I didn't think the decline would come as steep as it did for him, but you're right, man. He was, he was great when he was here and I still miss him a bit to this day that my Matheson trade kind of looks a bit, eh. but they're lucky though, that they have a good net front presence still in Jake Gensel, who I'm sure we'll get to later. Um, it's not as good as Hornquist, obviously, but he still gets the job done relatively well, but Hey, man, I mean, you can put him on the top power play, you can put him on the second power play. You can move him up and down the lineup. Um, he was just, he was always there when a big moment needed to happen. So we're almost done with the reminiscing period of this, but the last guy I wanted to touch on here is Latang because he's one of the more, I'll say conflicting players in terms of when you watch him because his underlines are always pretty strong, but occasionally when you're just watching him, he makes mind-numbingly bad decisions because He's overconfident in his skating ability where he'll pinch up to try and keep a play going, but just miss the puck and not be able to run down the person who's going by him. And he's really, he's conflicting because the numbers are there and you see why he has the contract he has, why he's lasted this long. He's a talented hockey player, but he can be frustrating to watch at times, especially in certain situations where it's a close game. You probably shouldn't be taking a risk like that. Tell me a little bit about the Chris Letang experience as a fan. Chris Letang, yeah, I'm a, somewhat of a polarizing figure in the Penguins community. Um, I think most of the fans that I follow love him. You know, I do too. Uh, I think the good outweighs the bad pretty, I would say, about maybe 90-10, maybe 80-20. Um, you're right, he does make some dumb mistakes, tries to be over, a little over too confident, you know, makes some bad pinches. But it's just, you know, a product of him just, you know, trying to make the perfect play. And, you know, in his peak years for his career, I have argued when he's on his game, there are not five to ten defensemen in this league who are better than him. You saw what he did in the 2016 playoffs. I mean, you could have made a case that he won, could have won the con Smythe that year. He should have been a finalist for the Norris, what he did with Mike Sullivan. A couple seasons later, he was just about just as good. Hasn't played at that level since. But when you watch him, though, he just he does so much for this team. Yes, I know they won a Stanley Cup without him in 2017, but that wasn't sustainable. They won that Stanley Cup because their two play, core players went off and they got 937 goaltending from Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, Fleury was like 925, Murray was 937. I mean, that, that's, that's why they won. Their defense was terrible. You had Ron Hainsey on the top pairing, for God's sakes. But, you know, he's great on the power play. Even strength, he eats up so many minutes. Even defensively in his own zone, he's very responsible. And I just, like I said, yes, he sometimes will make mistakes, but, you know, it's over – what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, this is terrible radio. It's just 
people get lost in his mistakes, but don't look at just how many great plays that he makes on an every night basis, you know, keeping the puck in the zone, you know, just great plays on his stick. He just, he's one of the better offensive defensemen in this league. And in terms of franchise defensemen, he is the Penguins best defenseman in franchise history. I know Paul Coffey played here for a little bit, but if you're talking about a true franchise defenseman who has spent his entire career here, there is not one defenseman that I would take over Chris Letang. I'm sorry to Larry Murphy. I'm sorry to old Samuelson. Sorry to Sergei Gonchar, but it's it's Latang, and people are going to miss him when he's gone because he has just done so much for um, this team as a core player, and his body has been through so much. I mean, remember Nick? He had a stroke of it in 2013. And he yeah. still back and had a one hell of a year. The fact that he didn't win the Masterton after that just honestly should have just qualified that award right there. And you know, the same with honestly, um, I think it was Zuccarello and um, Dupuis were nominated too. Yeah, and they gave it to Yager for just being old. Yeah. yeah, literally. And then Devin Dubnik for uh, remembering how to play hockey. Um, but yeah, man, it's just p- people need to, I don't know, but some of the hot takes I see on Chris Tang on Penguins Twitter are just a little too much. Oh my God, trade and he makes too much money. The guy makes $7.25 million per season, and that's for a number one defenseman. You have Brent Burns making $10 million. His play has declined. You have a couple others. I think Mark Edward Vlasic makes more than him. Um, John Carlson makes a lot more money. He's terrible in his own zone. Great offensive defensive, by the way. I mean, I think he's better offensively than Tang, but defensively, I would take Latang over him. But I just, I really have never understand a lot of the Chris Latang hate from this fan base. Because, so like you said, underlying numbers are great too. Yeah. I understand why people who are eye test people can kind of critique him a lot because. He's not great in front of his own net, and he does make the, the mistakes that jump out when you're watching the game where it's the aggressive pinching and that kind of thing. It's part of the game. It's part of the evaluation. Okay, so we've reminisced. We'll talk a little bit about your experiences growing up with this team, what the, the key moments, the key players, that kind of thing. So talking about the few years post-Cup, so post the second one, the last like three years or so, what hasn't worked for them? Because they've always, they, like we've said, they have the high-end talent. They've supplemented the core of the team with pieces like Gensel, like pieces like Brian Rush, that kind of thing. What hasn't worked the last few years? So 2018, you know, I kind of write that off as a little bit of a mulligan. Um, they were gassed that season. I mean, I saw it in the Capitol series. I mean, they were tied in that series, and I thought there was a good chance that they were going to win it. But just watching them through it, it's just – you know, three runs like that, it just, it gets to you. And, you know, I was willing to be like, you know what? We'll see what happens. They traded for Derek Broussard. You know, we'll see what happens going into 2019. You know, write that off. Then, you know, you get the Jack Johnson experiment. You know, as well as I do now, you've watched Jack Johnson for four games. Um, try watching it for two straight seasons. He basically, te- uh, he was a main reason why the Penguins did not win a Stanley Cup championship. He just brings <laughs> that much negative value to the lineup. And it was honestly just Jim Rutherford, like just losing his way a bit, you know, making, you said it in the beginning of this episode, making trades for the sake of making trades, you know, trying to recorrect previous mistakes. And, you know, they go out and sign Johnson. They trade for Eric Goodbranson for reasons that I don't know why they traded Jamie Alexiak back to Dallas. That ended up being a mistake. He has some great underlying numbers with the stars last year playing, I think with Heisken and our Klingberg, um, stupid decision there and good Branson didn't look bad but then you know you get John Marino up here who was a has been a sensation and then of course you know you got to correct that mistake you get a draft back for him 
even though you shouldn't even have traded them in the first place. And then, you know, you also have the GM saying, well, we need someone that's going to punch Tom Wilson in the mouth and all that, you know, that's why we went out and got someone like that. And it's just like, that's just such an outdated way of thinking. And then he finally wakes up this year. He's like, yeah, we want to go back to speed and skill. It's like, you should have never left that in the first place. That's why you won the two Stanley cups. You're not just going to get more tougher. Cause I remember after they won in 2017, Jim was like, yeah, we want to get a little more tougher. Hence the Ryan Reeves trade. Then he trades him not even a year later to get Derek Broussard. It's just like, I mean, what's the point? Like, I mean, yeah, then you have the Connor Sherry trade trades Dominic Cahoon after trading for him from Oli Mata. So it's just like, you know, it's a cycle with Jim Rutherford. I acquire a player. I acquire another player. I then trade the player up here for a different player. And then, you know, just the cycle, it just keeps repeating itself with him. And they, they look slow in the playoffs. And, you know, Matt Murray kind of regressed. Um, I will say Matt Murray got a lot of bad hate from the Penguins fan base because, you know, the little flurry boy left Vegas and they were mad about that. Some of the hate I saw for him was just pathetic. But, um, you know, his play did regress, though. I'll say that. I'll be objective about it. And just defensively, they just weren't good in their own zone. The power play regressed. And, you know, sometimes the Stars just can't do it all. And then, you know, the Islanders, you know, they made them look like a peewee level team. You know, very trot hockey. It's not fun to watch, but it's very effective. And they shut down the Penguins in a way we haven't seen in a while. Then, you know, with Montreal, you continue to play Jack Johnson. Bad results come, you know, him and Schultz, I think were on the ice for over half of Montreal's even strength goals. They were just attacking him like no tomorrow. You know, you have the rest of the team not really showing up. The decision to start Matt Murray in games one through three, probably wait on Sullivan going into this year. And it's just been a, a tire fire of roster management, you know, some poor coaching decisions as well. Mike Sullivan is not absolved from this. He continued to play Jack Johnson, Justin Schultz, when they should have came out of the lineup. You had two better replacements on the bench in Chad Ruedel and Yusa Weekla, who could have came into the lineup, but Mike Sullivan decided not to. I'm honestly of the belief that Jim Rutherford was telling him to play Jack Johnson because they've already scratched Cody CC and he's basically the right-handed. Well, I wouldn't say he's the right-handed version of him, but he's, he's just, a little better than Johnson, but yeah. A little better. Yeah. And they've already decided to scratch him. So, and you know, Matheson's out already, but you know, I think that's mainly where it's gone wrong. And, you know, now for this year, you know, a lot of questions about the bottom six, some of it has been answered so far. Some, there's been some, some, some surprises, excuse me, but I mean, they've just, they've lost some players that they haven't been able to replace. And the general manager has just not stopped making trades for the sake of making trades and bringing in some not so good players. Yeah. I, I believe me, I, I haven't understood the Johnson thing for a while now. I mean, it's been a week of Jack Johnson on the Rangers and even, you know, the New York beat writers aren't like, are, confused like we are there's not like the well let's give it some time and see like even here the writers are all like well yeah he wasn't good in Pittsburgh the expectations were low and he's been very bad so far but David Quinn insists he's going to figure it out because he's a leader he's a character guy and Jacques Martin vouched for him so that that's what we're going with and yeah the hockey men know what they're doing is basically what it comes down to. The hockey men know what they're doing. The hockey man, the dinosaurs in the 80s. Yeah, maybe maybe it was Jacques Montana was a sleeper agent was telling Mike Sullivan to keep Johnson in the lineup. But, That's uh, the thing. The, what's it called? The one guy who actually kind of asks an occasionally difficult question, Vince Mer... I can't even remember how to pronounce his name. Mercangliano, something along those lines. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He even said it, that... It, today he took because look he tweeted he was at practice he tweeted the combinations and someone asked him are we really still doing this with Johnson and he said 
Well, Martin was hired, and part of that was once they hired him, he vouched that they needed Johnson and it would help. And I, it remains to be seen. I would like someone to ask at some point what Johnson has to do to come out of the lineup because Brendan Smith was fine yesterday, and he's going out of the lineup because they're bringing D'Angelo back in, and that just doesn't make sense. If they're going to do D'Angelo Smith again, excuse me, D'Angelo Johnson again, we saw how bad that was the first night against the Islanders. And the Islanders are not a dominant possession team who's going to cycle you. You can just skate fast straight ahead. And D'Angelo and Johnson is horrendous because neither of them can limit transitions. And D'Angelo is decent at creating transition where he can skate the puck out of trouble or pass it out of trouble. But Johnson's just a liability. And at some point, the hockey men have to admit they are wrong is how I'll put a bow on that conversation is just you can't keep insisting something is working or it will work itself out when the results or the process aren't there. If the process isn't working and the results aren't there, you have to change the process to get better results. It's really not that complicated. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you, but you know, that's not, not some um, old hockey man think. You know, they think that you're just going to, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I think that's probably what they're thinking. And, you know, it's probably not going to change. So, um, you know, I even saw Johnson was trending on Twitter last night. You yeah. Know? Welcome, well, welcome to our life for the last two years. As he, you know, he, uh, I think someone from DK Pittsburgh Sports, Taylor um, Hase, tweeted out a video of him literally shooting the puck into the Penguins' net against the Red Wings from last season. I think Jari was in net, and he was trying to clear the puck, but it went off his pad and in. And it's like, you know what? That is who he is now. And it's just, you know. I don't know. You know, he's not my problem anymore. They, you know, they're playing Yusuf Wikula and Chad Ruido on the bottom pairing now with Matheson and CC Hurd, so I can't complain. So transitioning to conversation about this year's team, before we jumped on, I went through, I went on charting hockey, and the Penguins look nice. Their expected goals, all four lines, all two of the three pairs are net positive so far. They're creating a lot of scoring chances. They're giving up a decent amount of scoring chances as well, but thus far they've been able to create offense and not worry as much about the defense because like we had said during the early parts of this the goaltending is going to have to figure itself out those are both young and unproven guys but as long as the offense can be as efficient as it's being right now I think you can worry about the goaltending later on down the road yeah exactly I mean offensively they keep the game at 5v5 they're out chanting each team I mean even Jacob Borchek said after the Flyers second game that they won against us he's like yeah I don't think we really played particularly well we kind of got lucky that we won the game but and Carter Hart obviously was just spectacular and he even said that for the first game too because I thought the Penguins had the better of the play in both of those games it's just you know they take penalties the penalty kill has not been as advertised and they go down and then you know they they start they don't start the games on time. They go down by multi-goal deficits. They were lucky to come back against Washington last night. You had the very rare three-on-five goal. That was their first one since old friend Matt Cook did it in 2012 to the Flyers and gave a nice death stare to Kimo Timonen. Um, But it's mainly been, um, you know, I just the third line has been a big surprise. I don't really thought – I didn't really think people – what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, Mark Jankowski, 700K, brought in as a depth – defensive player already has three points in the team's first games um he's already he had seven all of last year i think in like 50 60 games i mean this is a former 17 15 goal scorer um if he can get back to that level he he transforms that third line overall brandon tanev i don't see anyone complaining about that contract right now i know it's for a while but he's been one of their best players to start the season jared mccann i think i saw a tweet from someone from the pens blog 
is leading the team in virtually every 5v5 category, like expected goal share, expected goals against share, um, shot attempts score per 60, shot attempts against per 60. He's been outstanding for them. And then, you know, even on the fourth line, Teddy Bluger, Colton Sevier, he's been honestly not bad since coming over from Florida. He's fighting for a roster spot, especially when Aston Reese comes back. And then defensively, like you said, you know, probably two of their pairings are doing good. Dumoulin and Latang. Um, Marino is, uh, he just continues to get better, Patterson. And then even the third pairing, man, with Rigola and Ruido, that's a $2 million, I don't even want to say a $2 million third pairing. They're going to get on the positive result as well. So to your point, they are playing good hockey when, you know, they're not starting the game playing like shit, I guess, is basically what I'm saying. You know, after the first period, you know, they play 40, 45 minutes of good hockey, and that's why they're winning games. Is this sustainable? No. You're going to have to start playing the game for a full 60 minutes to win your games. You're going to have to start getting the goal hitting that you got from Tristan Jari last year when he was basically 930 for a couple months, got himself to an all-star bid, and then played pretty well in the lone playoff game that he started. Um, all they need is average goaltending. I mean, if they continue to yeah. get that, when you have your roster playing like this every night for 40, 45 minutes, and then you add a good start to the first period, this team will win a lot of games. I truly think that they're a weird team to look at right now, but you know, when, you know, you saw the blueprint against Washington on Sunday after the first period, they turned it on against them defensively. They suppressed shots at an elite level. I think they only allowed seven, five, five shots through the last 45 minutes. Um, that's something that they don't do that often. And then, you know, when you get the offense rolling, um, it's a hard team to stop. And they're getting depth contributions, which that was the, one of the biggest question marks going into the season. You already have Colton Sevier with two goals. Teddy Bluger, Jankowski has a couple. TNF has a couple. You know, soon you're going to get McCann. And, you know, the Stars are going to score. Brian Russ will hopefully break out at some point. Jake Gensel finally woke up last night. Gunny Malkin came back from Pluto a little bit. So, um, you know, as long as the top six keeps going and the depth continues to do well and they get good, decent goaltending, um, they'll, they're a playoff lock if they just get that. They don't even need, like, they they need 9-10 goaltending. They need league average goaltending and they would be fine. 9-10, 9-10 save percentage if you're not sure. That's the league averages. You, that's how you calculate PDO is average. You, you do your save percentage and your shooting percentage. The average shooting percentage is 9%. Your average save percentage is 9-10. You add those together, you get 100. 100 is considered an average PDO team. If you're above 100, you're playing lucky. Below 100, you're being unlucky. Thus far, the Penguins' is PDO is a little low because their goaltending has been so bad. Basically, yeah. I mean, J- Jari started out the season. Now they'll come particularly sharp. He was also left out to dry. Both goalies have honestly been left out to dry on some of these goals. But last night, even against Washington, as I'm, I know I'm sure you were watching on NBCSN, you know, they get a goal to tie it up. And then when you need a timely save coming the other way, they can't make it. It's like, you got to help out your defense a little bit here. And then the fourth goal, too, to Smith. Taylor rebound, Kuznetsov's right there to put it back in. It's like, I mean, you just made it three to two. I mean, you got to give the team a save when they need it. You know, he did that on the Sunday game, but he, they need more of that going forward. I would expect Jari to start on Friday against New York. I think Sullivan said in the media session that he wants to work out the Kings with his starting goalie. And, you know, there could be a time where the Penguins potentially go out and get a veteran goaltender. It would not surprise me if Rutherford d- does it. I mean, he's a former goalie, so he's more in tune with his goalies than probably any position as a general manager. And, you know, it was always a risk going into this season with these two guys, you know, not a high sample size, 
We all know goaltending is very volatile. How are they going to play? It's not looked good so far, but they're two and two, Nick, and they have the league's worst 5v5 goaltending. It can yeah. only go up from here, you would think. <laughs> in theory, yeah. I mean, I remember when I talked to Valakat like two years ago for something I was writing. He told me that the typical talent evaluation for a goaltender, you want at least 100 games of minor and junior experience to evaluate a sample before you can determine if this guy's even worth taking a chance at the NHL level. And these guys are both, what, like 24, 25-ish, that ballpark? And so they they have the amateur track record to be considered for this role. This isn't like what Chicago is doing where they've kind of thrown three guys to the Wolves who are, they're all basically AHL starters slash backups at the NHL level who don't have much experience at all. The most experienced one out of all of them is Malcolm Subban, who has less than 20 career starts at the NHL level. So it's hard to evaluate goaltending. Like you said, it's a small sample, obviously. You need to see it over the course of a full season. The closer we get to the trade deadline, I assume, I assume Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is always aggressive at the deadline because they always feel like they're one or two moves away. I expect them to make a move. Speaking of one of their moves, what do you expect from Kasperi Kapanen in the season? Um, you know, after last night, I might be expecting a bit more. I thought he was their best skater on the ice. I mean, he was the direct cause of that first goal. I mean, you just see how fast he is. I mean, he's one of the fastest skaters in the league, fires that puck on net. Um, was it Vanacek, I think is how you pronounce it. Couldn't corral him and Colton Seaver and Bluger are there to clean up the mess. And it's like, he was just, I know he only got 10 minutes of even strength ice time. But, I mean, he made those 10 minutes count. He was, I think, their best player. He's probably going to be promoted to Sid's line. They were just kind of putting the training wheels on him a little bit. One yeah, first game. First game. Yeah, yeah, one practice in. He just came over from Finland. And it is funny, man. He just came back from overseas and was their best player last night. And the team has been there for, like, over a week and a half, two weeks practicing and playing. So, I kind of found that a little funny. Um, but – I expect, I mean, I'm hoping maybe he can have 20 goals, 20 assists, something like that. I mean, playing with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel, maybe that's a little too unrealistic considering he's only going to be playing in 50 games. But if he can get close to 20 goals, I mean, I think that would be great. But he's just so quick with the puck. I mean, not a lot of players were getting the puck off his stick last night. He was just that good. So I'm really excited to see um, how he can be moving forward. He also might get some power play time too. So that wouldn't surprise me. He's got the physical tools. Toronto valued him very highly. And I mean, it took Pittsburgh quite a bit to get him. Uh, I, he never really fit with who they were playing him with in Toronto, whether it was with Tavares or with Matthews. He always kind of, he didn't flow well. They didn't have good link up play where they could string together a series of passes, cycle the puck well. He's very good in transition, but for the, as far as link up play, cycling the puck, creating chances that way, he always left something to be desired in Toronto. It'll be interesting to see what he can do in Pittsburgh. This is an established team. This is an established core, a head coach who's won multiple cups. That's one thing I'll give Pittsburgh credit for is when they bring guys in, they really do try their best to integrate, inter, integrate, words are hard, integrate them into the team in a way that some organizations don't. Where I know I've been frustrated with the Rangers over the years where they've gone out and gotten these guys and then they don't give them a chance or they play them out of position or they play them in a role they're not familiar with. I mean, this is a team that traded multiple first-round picks for Keith Yandel and played him on the third defensive pair. This is a team that drafted someone second overall two years ago and played him on the fourth line with Brett Howden for half of a season, and with Brett Howden and Cody McLeod for half of a season. And you wonder why he looked like a fish out of water. He's not a checking line forward. You've got to put these guys in a position to succeed. 
I think Pittsburgh does a decent job of that, of once they get a guy being like, all right, this guy does this well, we'll put him here to try and do this. And they do, yeah. I mean, it, last night was just a case of just, okay, your first game, we're going to put put the training wheels on. Next practice and next game against the Rangers, I'm sure he'll be on the top line. He'll get 15, 16 minutes a night. But, you know, they just want to get him integrated in the system. You know, Sullivan is usually really good with his deployment. You know, I know people are going to talk about last year with Johnson and Schultz. You know, I'm going to throw that out the window. But right now with this season, he's been so far pretty good about his deployment. He's been – you know, when a player's not playing well, he'll take him out like Cody Cece. And he wasn't even that bad when he played. I mean, if they could get that from him all season, if he played, he would be fine. But, you know, I guess it wasn't good enough. You put Trevor Weedle in, who's been an upgrade, and he honestly probably shouldn't even see the bench again. He's He's been a great number six defenseman. I mean, he – so um, I just – I like what Sullivan has been doing so far this season with it. Okay. Before we wrap up, just one last – how much longer do you think – they can do this with Sullivan because obviously coaches in the NHL have a pretty short shelf life. The typical job only lasts three and a half years. He's been in it for five now. He's been here quite a while. Do you think that this core as it's built and Sullivan can still win another cup? It's, it's tough. I mean, if there's not, if there's a coach that can do it, it's him. Um, if they do have another flame out though, in the postseason, could see Mario going to gym being like, Hey man, kind of sick and tired of this you gotta you gotta can him or you know maybe i'll send you with him um but you know mario i mean i think he definitely would want them to win another one i think one more for them is the big one i mean even gino said before the season he would be the only russian with four stanley cups that's weighing on his mind a lot he wants to win another one for that um i do think sullivan can win another cup with this team um, you talked about the trade deadline earlier. I think they have another move to make. Maybe it's a forward. There's been some Jack Roslovich rumors that they could be acquiring him at some point. You know, I'd maybe aim a little higher. You know, I, I'm of the belief that they kind of need a bona fide top line winger to play with Sid and that they can move Kapanen down to the third line so he can play with Jankowski and, and um, Tana, McCann, or whoever. And I think that would be one of the best third lines in hockey. So, um, you know, I don't think they're going to make a move at defense. I don't think they're going to make it. Maybe they'll maybe make a move at goalie, but, you know, as currently constructed, I do think they can win a cup with this team, but it's going to require them to one, get at least league average goaltending, at least make a trade or two, because they're going to go for it. You know, they're, they're not, they are never shy to trade their draft picks. And um, I think, I really think Sullivan has, you know, more to give. I wasn't happy with him after the last postseason, the season postseason before that, but, you know, he's arguably the best coach in this franchise's history. And, you know, if, like I said, if there's one coach that can, you know, guide them back there. It's, it's him. How much longer do you think this window is open? Ah, that's a good one. A couple years, maybe less. Um, there's a couple contracts coming up. I think in 2022, I think Gino expires. Kapanen expires. My memory serves me right. I think Brian Rust expires. Um, Chris Tang expires, I believe very soon. Um, so they, they better get one, one of these next couple of seasons, or it's going this, they may, they may look like a different team after 2022. I mean, I'm sure they'll resign Gino unless he wants to go finish his career in Russia. Like Datsuk did. Well, Tang, I would assume will be signed for maybe three years to end his career here. If they don't trade him before then, which I don't think they will. And then, you know, what happens with Ryan Rust and everything, you know, you have the salary cap is always a real thing. It's going to be a flat cap for the next couple of years because of the pandemic. So you better make it work. I think you have it maybe two years tops. I don't think they're going to win one after that. 
that's a realistic timeline. Sid is pretty old. Gino's pretty old. The Chang's pretty old. And from what I've read, I read something a couple of weeks ago from one of the Penguins beat writers. I forget who it was, but they were basically of the assumption that once Latang plays out the end of this contract, he's going to hang it up. He's not going to play anymore. Gino's going to end up going back to Russia. And then if you have just Sid, you're, you know, you're basically starting from scratch again. You're going to be in the same position that Chicago is in now, the post-dynasty era, where you really have to embark on a true rebuild and start restocking the pantry for when Sid's gone. I mean, we've seen Chicago not dedicate itself to a rebuild until it was already too late. That Chicago should have tried, started rebuilding 2017, 2018. They waited until basically this year to fully admit, like, hey, we, we're wrong, but we're going to have to start over. We need draft picks. Because that was more because Stan, Bowman's trying to save his ass and not get fired. But you got to acknowledge when it's time to rethink things over. And Pittsburgh has done a really nice job of extending their window of contention as long as possible. It is not easy to keep a window open for a decade. Basically, a decade they've had their window of contention open where they were always at least one or two moves away, getting to the second round of the playoffs most years. Pretty close to a model franchise as you can get in the NHL in today's league with the salary cap and all the factors. Of course, it helps. You gotta you gotta get the Geno and the Sid in the draft. Uh, you gotta get the ping pong balls. That not everybody can do that. So, wrapping up here, just talking about the game on Friday. I'm assuming you guys are gonna get Igor because it was Georgiev two games in a row. Georgiev wasn't particularly good against the Devils last night. I assume you'll get Shesterkin. It looks like D'Angelo's coming back in. It looks like Smith is going out. They don't, they're assuming they're going to get Zabinijad back. He took a bad spill late in the game, landed funny, came out, didn't play like the last minute and a half of the game when they were chasing. Matchups-wise, over the years, we've I've, Quinn has really tried to do the Zabinijad versus Crosby thing. It works to a degree. Pittsburgh's first line is better. I think where the Rangers will have a decent chance is the second line's going head-to-head, where if everyone is healthy – and it's Panarin's line against Gino's line. I like the advantages that Panarin's line has, especially if they bump Lafreniere up to the second line with him. In the little, in the limited time they've had together, you can see why it makes sense to play them together because they both have such good vision of the ice. They dragged around the corpse of Ryan Strom last night, who had an expected goals of zero. Yes, that's possible to get an expected goals of zero. Ryan Strom didn't. He skated for 50 minutes and just got some cardio in. That, that, that actually is funny that he added his, his expected goals of zero. Um, it, it should be a good game on Friday. I'm going to be curious to see if the Penguins can actually start that game on time and not look like they're out at the bar for the first 40 minutes of the game. Um, I assume that Jari will start. Um, you know, like I said, Sullivan was kind of talking about getting his, the kinks out of his game and just working on getting his confidence back up. Um, we might have some injuries at defense, though. You might see P.O. Joseph's debut. Um, he's been talked about a lot coming over in the Phil Kessel trade. Spent some time in Wilkesbury. He's on the taxi squad. Don't know the severity of Marcus Pedersen's injury. He was at the um, expense of TJ Oshie's, um, dare I say, dirty hit last night. I have just, as a Penguins fan, you know, there might be some Capitals fans listening to this podcast, have never stood that dude. I just can't stand TJ Oshie. I know American hero in 2014, but, you know, you watch Penguins-Caps games over the years, you see him do a little stuff that he should not be doing out there. But hopefully he's okay. Yusuf Rikla also was hurt. Don't know the severity of that one. Um, so could be seeing Cody Cece coming in the lineup too. But um, 
I'd assume you'll see Brian Dumoulin and Chris Letang, Marino in there, and then maybe P.O. Joseph, um, Chad Ruedel and Cody Cece. I'm not really sure. And I, I, that's the worst case scenario. But if both of them come back, you'll see the same defense in there, I would think. But if one of them can't, um, I'm sure Joseph will come in. And then for the forwards, man, um, expect Kapanen on the top line. Maybe you'll put a parley in for him to score his first goal with Sid and Gensel. Um, and, you know, I'm excited for that game. It should be a good couple game series against you guys. It'll be interesting because both teams have not been particularly great defensively thus far. If you look at the expected goals, the Rangers are in the we may win, but we may die. And the Penguins are towing the line between the me may win, we may die, and the we just win thing. Where it, the, the Penguins are almost in quadrant one. The Rangers are in quadrant four where they're just giving up a ton of chances but creating chances. So this should be a lot of up and down hockey, a lot of transition, a lot of flashy plays. There are a lot of marquee players on both sides. The last thing I want to talk about before we get you out of here is how do you think the way the schedule is set up with these two game or three game stretches impacts these teams? Because for the Rangers, I think it helps because they really are an inconsistent as hell team. So playing the same team twice in two or three days helps them and it allows them to be a little more consistent. How do you think it impacts what the Penguins like to do? Um. I mean, I, I just, I, I like it personally. Um, you know, it gives you a chance to get that team again on the next night if you lose to them. Figure out what adjustments you need to make. You know, if you mess up on like a defensive breakdown, you can look at it, see if that comes up again against that same team. Okay, this is what we're going to do. I actually really like this schedule for the league. I hope that they kind of keep doing this once they go back to 82 game seasons, especially for the interdivision games. It reduces travel and all that. Um so I am a fan of it, you know, and it's fun. It's fun for the rivalries, I think, too, you know. I mean, it's going to be awesome for the playoffs, I think, too. So um, I'm excited. I like it. And, you know, it just, it, just, it just builds these matchups, I think, a lot more, to be honest. I will definitely be having you back in a few weeks as a uh, – we'll call it a temperature check to see how the Penguins are doing in two or three weeks. I said – when I talked to Alyssa yesterday, I said three weeks for the Blackhawks. We'll put we'll pencil it in for tentatively about three weeks from now when we have about a month's worth of data to look at and we can really start to see what's sustainable, what isn't, what teams are real, what teams are fake, that kind of thing. It lends the more the more numbers we have, the better. It's gives it just the more it's a more accurate sample. You get my point. Hunter, yeah. where can the people find your work and tell us a little bit about lockdowns the lockdown penguins podcast? Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. Um, if you needed to know how to spell my last name, H-O-D-I-E-S. I assume everyone can spell the name Hunter. Um, I do work for uh, Saturday Tradition for College Football. That is a ton of fun. Um, I do work for Last World Hockey for Penguin stuff. Um, for the Locked On Penguins podcast, it's an everyday 20-minute, 30-minute episodes for Penguin stuff. I do game recaps, game previews have some cool guests on um you know maybe nick i'll have you on soon to you know pre maybe preview those games against the rangers i'll have to talk about to you about that um but you know it's a lot of fun the podcast has honestly really exploded the last week i think it was one of the um five most listened to ones on the NHL network which was kind of surprising because i just kept doing the same thing so if you guys want to check out that um go on spot spotify apple megaphone i prefer apple or spotify for obvious reasons but um you know go check that out there Thank you for coming, Ahana Hunter. I will see you guys tomorrow. Still up in the – oh, no, it's not. It's the NFL playoffs this weekend, folks. Conference championship games, four awesome teams. 
Two great games. Genuinely excited for this weekend. Mahomes practice in full today. He's going to go for the Chiefs like there was any doubt the league was going to not let Mahomes play this weekend. I will see you guys tomorrow.